Hello. Before I begin the podcast, I'd like to throw in a little disclaimer about what I'm going to be talking about in today's episode. In this episode, I will be reading graphic descriptions of murder, violence, sexual violence, torture, and other things that are only suitable for mature audiences. I strongly suggest that if you are under the age of 13, or if you just feel like you won't be able to handle hearing descriptions of brutal serial murders, that you go ahead and turn off the podcast now. No harm, no foul, and everyone's happy. So, as always with this kind of content, listener discretion is heavily advised. With that being said, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Serial Killer Countdown. I'm your host, Jordan McCollum. And this is my podcast where I talk about all the messed up serial killers in the world that have been caught so far, starting with the worst of the worst or best of the best, if that's how you want to look at it, and working my way through the list. I've always had a morbid fascination with serial killers and their crimes, falling down rabbit hole after rabbit hole online, and I always kind of thought I was weird because of that. That was until I met some people with my same interests and realized there are actually a actually a lot more of us out there than I originally thought. So I uh, decided to share my interests in all the strange and disturbing serial killers that I found by starting my own podcast. So this is the second episode of the Serial Killer Countdown, and last episode I talked about a man named Luis Garavito, also known as La Bestia, or The Beast, who was a serial killer who committed his crimes throughout Colombia. And uh, you can listen to that episode now on Spotify or at anchor.fm slash Serial Killer Countdown. So for my second episode, I thought I'd stay in the same sort of geographical area of Colombia and talk about a man who is often mentioned in the same circles as Luis Garavito. And this man is known as the Monster of the Andes, and his name is Pedro Lopez. Confirmed murders, 110 girls. Possible murders based on confessions while in prison and other gathered evidence, upwards of 300 young girls throughout Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Pedro Lopez is very interesting to me because he really almost becomes one of the first ever kind of celebrity serial killers after he's caught. But uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit. I first want to start with just who exactly Pedro Lopez was, and to do that I of course have to start with his childhood. Pedro Alonso Lopez was born in 1948 in Santa Isabel, Colombia, to a widowed, extremely poor mother. Pedro's father had died only about six months prior to him being born, and he was heavily involved in Colombia's civil war at the time, so he was shot and killed in a kind of skirmish during that conflict. And uh, not only that, but Pedro's mother was actually a prostitute with whom Pedro's father had been cheating on his actual wife. And she became pregnant with his baby in the process. So right off the bat, Pedro Lopez isn't even born yet, and his life is already filled with violence, adultery, resentment, and degradation. I know with some serial killers, there's this big debate about nature versus nurture and That question is asked, you know, are serial killers born that way or are they made that way by external forces? 
And as we'll come to learn about Pedro's childhood, I really think it's safe to say that this one was made that way. So anyway, he's born to a prostitute mother. His father has been killed even before he was born in the Colombian Civil War. And he's born into basically extreme poverty. His mother, to just be able to survive, has been selling her body on the streets, which Pedro witnesses, and it has a very detrimental effect on his development and his psyche. Having been a part of this kind of household and seeing sex and violence portrayed in just like it's an everyday occurrence, he really doesn't develop like a normal person. He ends up getting caught fondling his younger sister when he's about eight years old and his mother evicts him from their house. So again, instead of maybe trying to understand why he was fondling his sister or to get him the help he obviously needed, his mother just kicks him out to fend for himself when he's only eight years old. He travels to Bogota, Colombia and begins trying to survive on the streets and I can't even imagine what that must have been like. I mean, at eight years old, I was going to Disney World and watching Ninja Turtles, you know, and this kid was abandoned living on the streets of Colombia. And uh, let's just say life on the streets was not the easiest. He learned very early on how to fight and how to defend himself, mostly with knives and the like, basically stemming from a necessity to stake his claim wherever he had sort of made his home, and to ward off other street kids or thugs who might have wanted to take it from him. In the midst of all this, Lopez eventually comes across a man who offers to take him in, give him a hot meal and shelter and a bed and things of that nature, and he decides to trust this man and leaves with him in hopes of any kind of stability at all, and this would prove to be a huge mistake. Instead of taking him in, the man takes him to an abandoned building where Lopez is repeatedly raped and sodomized. And being a homeless street child, the police of Colombia were pretty much unconcerned with his plight. They just didn't have the resources to help, or perhaps they just didn't care. So he lives this way for about two years, surviving on the streets and just pretty much becoming a hardened criminal by age 10. But When he turns 10, he gets a beacon of hope in the form of an elderly American couple living in Colombia. They take him in and enroll him in a school for orphans. And he lives with the couple for about two years, and during this time he actually has a somewhat stable life. But of course, it didn't last. He ends up getting molested multiple times by a male teacher at the school he's enrolled in, and now he just can't take it anymore. He steals money from the school's office and runs away from the couple who took him in. And you might be thinking, why didn't he just go to the American couple and tell them what happened? Well, I think it's probably because of his past experiences. His experiences so far in life have told him that, I mean, no one's going to care about what happens to him. So he has to take life into his own hands. He thinks he can only trust himself, so he goes back to what he knows and what he's been doing, and that's living on the streets. So he lives on the streets for another nine years, his main source of supporting himself becoming stealing cars and selling them to chop shops. In the process of stealing cars, he gets arrested, and when he's 21 years old, he's thrown in prison. And after only two days in prison, he's brutally raped by two older inmates. But this time, instead of just taking it, he plans his revenge. He fashions a makeshift knife and hunts down and kills the two men who raped him. 
and this would mark the first time that Pedro Lopez murders someone. However, the warden of the prison basically tells him, don't worry, it doesn't matter, we're not going to add anything to your sentence because of these murders, and I think this represents a huge turning point in Pedro's life. First, it gives him his first thrill of killing, and I think it made him feel very powerful. We've seen so far in his life, he's basically been powerless. I mean, he's getting taken advantage of by almost everyone in his life. But when he kills these two inmates, it's him who has all the power. And I think that really enticed him quite a lot. Second, he realizes that he can pretty much just get away with it. The warden basically tells him that he did a good job killing these two inmates. And I think that really stays with him later in his life as well. So he gets released from prison after two years, and now he's 20 years old, and this is really when he starts his killing of young girls. It's around 1971, and Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru are really in kind of an unstable condition. Uh, police start noticing that a lot of young girls are going missing, but they just chalk it up to them being runaways, and none of these disappearances are really investigated all that much. And this goes on until 1980, when Pedro Lopez makes the mistake of trying to abduct a girl from a very crowded market. A young girl notices Lopez staring at her and trying to get her to come over to him, which makes her very suspicious. So she runs to her mother, who's a street vendor at the market, and points out Lopez, basically telling her that this guy is trying to get her to come with him. And... The girl's mother knows that a lot of young girls have been disappearing from the area, and she thinks that this might be the man responsible. So Lopez, of course, tries to flee the market, but he's chased down by the other street vendors who catch him and turn him over to police, claiming that this is the man who has been killing young girls all over the region. The police interrogate him, and they try to rough him up and get him to talk, but he just he won't budge at all. He won't say anything. He won't talk. So they decide to switch tactics. Instead of being rough with him, the police give him cigarettes and beer and chicken, and they just kind of, like, make him very comfortable and try to be friendly with him. And it actually works very, very well. Once he's comfortable, he strikes up a friendship with the police commander, and he just basically tells him everything. He tells him that he's killed over 100 young girls all over Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and that he's been doing it for the better part of a decade. And he almost seems proud of his crimes and kind of desperate to show them off. And police actually don't even believe him at first. They think it's basically impossible that one man could have killed so many young girls without being caught beforehand. So Lopez agrees to lead police to the bodies of his victims. And to do this, the police actually dress up Lopez as a police officer so that the townspeople don't basically storm them and lynch Lopez before he can even lead investigators to the bodies. And in all, he ends up leading police to 57 bodies of young girls that he has murdered. And during these confessions, he also explains his M.O. to police. And what he says is that he would feign helplessness or that he was lost and prey on the young girl's innocence to help him. He says that he has never physically kidnapped any of his victims, and he seems kind of proud of this, that he basically relies on his charm to get the girls to do what he wants. He would lead the girls to the countryside where he would rape them over a period of 
usually an entire day, and then kill them and dump the body. So he targeted very trusting, very poor girls who he knew when they went missing wouldn't really be able to have any resources dedicated to finding them. The girls he targeted were so poor and low on the totem pole that police just said, eh, you know, it's just another runaway and we'll leave it at that. And that's basically how it went for, you know, like a decade. His main mistake actually had been targeting and killing a daughter of a rich baker in Ecuador. And when this rich baker went to police, he really had enough pull to make them sit up and realize that they needed to do something more here because this guy was important. And uh, this was actually one of the main reasons that his killing spree was kind of made public to the people of Ecuador and contributed to the street vendors at the market finally apprehending him and getting him arrested. So this is where Pedro Lopez almost becomes somewhat of a celebrity while he's in prison. He's allowed to be interviewed many times while he's incarcerated, and he basically muses and philosophizes, is that how you say that, (laughs) on his murders, saying that killing makes him feel like God, and that he was saving these young girls from having to experience a life in poverty that he had endured in his childhood. And on some occasions, he even claims to have a split personality, and that it wasn't really him committing the murders, it was somebody else, you know. And just the amount of interviews and just the things he would say, all while having this big smile on his face, and it was just really disturbing, and it's really crazy to me that he was allowed to have that much freedom while he was in prison. So, anyway, the amount of confessions that he gives police is staggering, and he shows, you know, many, he leads them to many of his victims' bodies, so... Pedro Lopez is eventually found guilty of murdering 110 young girls in Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Police, however, suspect that he killed much more than those 110 girls, and Lopez even confessed that he killed upwards of 200 more than he's convicted for. But at this point, the trial's over, and unfortunately, the law in Ecuador is actually beneficial to Lopez, and he pretty much knows this. The laws in Ecuador are written so that no matter if you kill one person or kill 300, you receive the same sentence either way. This meant that the maximum prison sentence that Pedro Lopez could be given and was given was 16 years. 16 years for 110 murders. This amounted to just over four months per murder that he was convicted of, which is just pretty much ridiculous. And he ended up only serving 14 years of those 16 years because he was released two years early for good behavior. However, this is where things get even more crazy, if that's possible. An hour after Lopez is released from the Ecuadorian prison, he's re-arrested and charged with being an illegal immigrant in Ecuador. He's then deported back to his home country of Colombia in the hopes that the somewhat stricter government will possibly be able to put him away for longer, or hopefully put him away for good. The Colombian government ends up charging and convicting Lopez of a two-decade-old murder of a young girl in Colombia that matched his M.O. and his confessions while he was in prison in Ecuador. But instead of getting a prison sentence, he is, astoundingly, declared insane by the courts and interned in a psychiatric ward of a hospital in Bogota, Colombia. Three years later, in 1998, 
he's declared sane and posts bail at just $50, once again becoming a free man. After this, information about Pedro Lopez is very sparse and he just kind of disappears off the face of the earth, really. There are theories about what happened to him, but mostly that he either fled the country and the region and is continuing his killing spree in some other part of the world where he isn't as well known. There are theories that he's actually still in prison somewhere, possibly getting picked up for yet again, yet some other charge, some other charge in the, from the Colombian government. One of the most popular theories is that after his released from after he's released from the hospital, he was basically just lynched by the townspeople in a form of street justice because they felt wronged by the Colombian government that he didn't really you know, receive the justice that he deserved. But if that's the case, no one is really making it known for sure. And then in 2002, Interpol released an advisory stating that they were searching for Pedro Lopez in connection with a new murder that that had just happened that matched Lopez's M.O., and they believed that he was the one who committed this new murder. However, officially, as of 2019 and this podcast recording, the monster of the Andes... Pedro Alonso Lopez's whereabouts are unknown. Before I end the episode, I kind of wanted to circle back to something that I mentioned earlier, the whole nature versus nurture in creating a serial killer. And I really think Pedro Lopez's entire life is basically just one giant tragedy. He's absolutely a horrendous monster who did heinous, heinous things. But I do think we can trace his development into a serial killer back to his early life experiences. Thrown out of his house at age 8, raped and molested repeatedly throughout his entire life, taken advantage of at every opportunity, I think it really goes to show just how circumstances can create such a brutal killer like Pedro Lopez. And it's a very interesting thing for me to think about, and I hope it's an interesting thing for you to think about as well. How would Pedro Lopez have ended up if his mother had never thrown him out of the house when he was a child? How would he have ended up if he wasn't on the streets when he was at age 8, being raped and molested by people in positions of authority? Unfortunately for us, and for all the young girls that he killed, we'll never know the answer to that question. Thank you so much for listening to this second episode of the Serial Killer Countdown. This is the first podcast I've ever attempted, and just having anyone listen is just amazing to me. I hope to keep producing this podcast as serial killers fascinate me, and I'm sure many of you, and I love researching and reading up about who these killers really were and what motivated them to do what they did. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram under the username SKC Podcast. That's all one word, SKC Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow me, the host, Jordan McCollum, at Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash jordskc. That's twitter.com slash j-o-r-d-s-k-c. Thank you, and have a great rest of your day. <laughs>